The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. What a great message this morning, and I am still singing that song. I will bless the Lord at all times. My goodness. I hope we do that again. We might have to do that again at the end. I, I didn't get enough of that. Um, that was amazing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And this morning, um, we are continuing our march through the book of Isaiah, getting toward the end, uh, believe it or not. But this morning, we have two chapters, uh, Isaiah 54 and 55, and we're going to read both of these chapters. Um, it's 30 verses, and yet these are rich, rich um, verses and rich chapters that we're going to do our best to mine this morning. So let's go now to Isaiah chapter 54. Uh, this is the very word of God. Sing, O barren one, who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. You see the oddity of that command. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who was married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent, and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more." For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth. He is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment, I deserted you. But with great compassion, I will gather you. In overflowing anger, for a moment, I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should, be, uh, should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall depart from you, uh, shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord. Who has compassion on you, O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted? Behold, I have set your stones in antimony and your foundations with sapphires. I will make the, your pinnacles of a gate and your gates uh, of carbuncles, which is really crystal, and all your wall of precious stones. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established and shall be uh, far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. If anyone stirs up strife, it's not from me. Whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because of you. Behold, I've created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. I have also created the ra uh, ravager to destroy. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall confute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Chapter 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. 
He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, and it shall accomplish that which I uh, purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I've sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. And the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the hills shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Pray with me. Our great God, we thank you this morning that indeed this is your very word. And we pray this morning that you would come in power and might to open our hearts, to open our ears, to open our souls, our minds, to receive your word. Oh God, you have promised right here in this text that your word will accomplish its purpose, that it will not be thwarted, that your word is powerful than our resistance, that, that your life is, is, is more powerful than our death, that your light is greater than the darkness. And so pierce it all for your glory this morning. Win the hearts of your people. We pray for eyes to see and ears to hear, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to dive right in. As you can see, we have a lot to cover. Um, so we're going to dive right into the teaching of this text. And the first thing that I want us to see is that God is the husband, the relationship, the significance, whatever word you want to say, God is what you're searching for. God is the one you're searching for. He's the one I'm searching for behind every desire. The answer is God. Forbes magazine did a... Um, a survey, a poll of their subscribers, and they asked this one question. If you could say in one word what you want more of in life, what would it be? And here are the answers. Number one, happiness. I thought, and number two, money. I thought for sure money would be first, but no, happiness. Number three, freedom. Number four, peace. Five, joy. Six, balance. Seven, fulfillment. Eight, confidence. 
then the writer went on to, to really bemoan the fact that, that all of these are not found out there, but they're found inside of us. And that is really the gospel of our age, but that is not Christianity. Now, if it, it, I can understand there is benefit by not being driven by money, not being driven by letting your happiness depend on the circumstances, outward circumstances of your life, resting your confidence in what other people think about you, if you get that promotion or not, if you get into that school or not, if you make that deal or not. There's benefit to that, but this is not Christianity. Because Christianity says this. This is the voice of God that says, Come, everyone who thirsts to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And who is the voice behind this plea? Uh, Verse 6 and 7 of 55, seek the Lord while he may be found. You see, God comes to us and he says, you're not going to find it inside of you or outside of you in this world. You're going to find it by piercing the, 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 the heavens and, and coming to me and responding to me. This is where you will find significance. And, and we as Christians say, amen. But dear friends, this is written to Christians. <laughs> this is not written to the world. Isaiah was not written to the world. Isaiah is a prophet to the people of God. This is a message you need to hear. This is a message that I need to hear. It's been the message of Isaiah uh, from the, the beginning who is the barren one? Who is the wife, the barren one in 54.1? Who is the deserted wife in 54.6? It's the church. The wife that's been cast off is the church. In chapter 1, verse 21 of Isaiah, we started by looking at this, and I remember preaching that, how, how the faithful city has become a whore, she who is full of justice. God is calling his people who've been whoring uh, with the, the nations around them and the things of this earth and looking to anything but him to satisfy them and to flourish them. And then in chapter 50, verse 1, Behold your iniquities, for your iniquities you were sold, and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. The invitation is an invitation to broken, misguided, confused, worn-out, idolatrous men and women. It's to you and it's to me. How do you need to come to God this morning? That's not a message that you just give other people. It's a message that you must answer every moment of every day. How must I come to God? And if these chapters teach anything, it's that relationship with God is central it's not just serving God. It is relationship with God. Note the metaphor God uses here of husband and wife. Why turn from money, sex, pleasure, works, hobby, travel, or maybe Zillow? If you saw the uh, Saturday Night Live uh, skit, and if you didn't, uh, you, you really should. Um, it's hilarious, and it's so accurate. They're, they're, they're looking, these people are looking at Zillow like they're looking at pornography, you know. And it's true of all of us where there's something we're looking at. It may be pornography, but every one of us has some type of pornography. We're looking to something to satisfy us outside of the living God. Why turn from these things? Verse 5 of 54, for your maker is your husband. Oh, my goodness. 
The Lord of hosts is his name. He's shaking us and said, don't you understand who your husband is? The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. The one who reigns that Michael preached and, and, and gave us this beautiful vision of a God who reigns over all things. This is your husband. He's not just a God who is far off. He is a God that embraces us in covenant fidelity. And everything that we experience in marriage, it is just a metaphor of what we are to experience with the God of heaven and earth. But how many in here, how many single people in here? See, Daniel, I told you I would get to this. He, we were joking about uh, singleness when I, I asked him if anybody was sitting in the chairs by him, and I had to move the chair. He said, man, I'm just single, so, uh, you know, listen to this. How many of you single people have almost been berated by this reality? What, don't, quit your complaining. The Lord is your husband. Come on. Yeah. But this is not to single people. <laughs> this is to all of us. In fact, the reality is this. Married people need to embrace God maybe even more. Why? For not only can the idea of a spouse become an idol, but the reality of a spouse can become an idol. The reality of what we have, we can look to our spouse. And I'm, I must tell you, this is the reason. You want to know the reason for every breakup in marriage it's because we're looking to our spouse to be our Jesus. Yeah, but they betrayed me. Right. Right. And I'm not berating. Hear what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying. This is the issue in our, all of our marriages, really. We're, looking to, we're putting the pressure on our spouse to be what only God can be. Have you received God as your spouse? That's what's being offered here. Come, come. Who is, who is giving this invitation? Your husband, your spouse, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Why is he doing it? Because he, he's an egotistic deity? Because he needs you? No. No, of course not. Why is he doing it? Because he is the only one that can give you what you were made to receive. He is the Lord, your maker, your creator. He knows you. What if I told you today you, you could marry the person who knows you best because he or she fashioned you? Oh, I, okay, that's, that's the one that's really made for me. <laughs> you, you get it? That's the gospel. That's what's being said here. If money or sex or power or fun or travel or a new house could fulfill you, God would say, have at it. But he loves you too much. And he loves me too much. God is your husband. He's the one you're searching for. But secondly, the nature of God's love shapes the essence of this relationship. We, we have to understand to whom this offer of come to me is going out to. Again, verse 54.1. Sing, O barren one, who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married. Why would a barren woman sing? Especially in the Old Testament culture. Why would she sing? Paul gives us a little insight. In Galatians 4, he does the, the exegesis for us. In, in um, Galatians 4 and, and verse 1, he quotes verse 1 of 54. Sing, O barren one, who did not bear. And he goes on. 
And he starts using this illustration of Hagar and Sarah. Hagar is the, uh, the wife of, of, she represents Mount Sinai, the law. Sarah represents the child of the promise. And he says, you're the children of promise. It's a glorious message. You see, God didn't choose you. God didn't come to you because you were so fruitful. God came to you to make you fruitful. God came to you. What can a barren woman give her husband? Nothing but herself. Oh, let that sink in. And if you didn't get it already, he gives you another illustration of a cheating wife. He, he refers to Israel as a wife who he cast off just for a time. And remember, this is poetry. This is metaphor. We can talk about the systematic theology stuff of that. Well, can God ever turn his back on his... He's referring to the exodus of God sending his people into exodus, and, and he's referring to himself as, as a, a husband who got hurt, a husband who was angry and for a time just said, you got to get out of here for a season. He didn't divorce her. And he says that in uh, earlier chapters. He says, where's your certificate of divorce? I haven't abandoned you. I haven't divorced you. Well, maybe I've left the house for a minute. <laughs> that's, I mean, come on. That's, that's exactly what he's saying. But he refers to his bride. He refers to his church as a cheating wife. How does a cheating wife come home or a cheating husband? The offended pays the price. I actually have a friend whose wife committed adultery and left him, and they divorced. And she was with this other man that she cheated with for um, a decent amount of time, and then she came back, and he took her back. And they married. They remarried. It blew everybody away. But how did that happen? He absorbed the cost. You see, somebody has to pay. How can God take his cheating bride back? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What does a cheating wife have to offer her husband? Nothing but herself. Would you come to Jesus today? Is this your gospel? If you're trying to pine away, if you're trying to get God's attention through your efforts, if you think God loves you based on what you do or don't do, you don't know the Holy One of Israel. You don't know your true husband because you are a cheating wife. You are a barren woman. You have nothing to give him, but he wants all of you. Oh, dear friends, if that doesn't break your cold heart, I don't know what will. If that doesn't make you say, I want this Savior, I want this God, I want, I, I'm committing covenant fidelity to this one because there's no one else like him. This is what God can and will do. It's the, the essence of the relationship one is just that. He is the husband that forgives and pays the price for his cheating wife. He is the husband that takes in the barren woman and loves her. And the power of the relationship is in verse 10 of 54. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, 
In other words, everything else in the world is uncertain. Everything may fall around, or, or, or fall down around you. You may lose your job. You may never get married. You may lose your marriage. You may never have children. Your children that you do have might turn out not the way you thought. On and on and on we can go. The mountains may depart. The hills may be removed. But my steadfast love shall not depart from you. Oh, do you hear it? And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. It is by grace we have been saved through faith. Not of, it's a gift. Not of our works, else we would boast. And that's the reality. The reality is it's all of grace. And we in the church today don't get it. And I want to give two illustrations of how we don't get it. If, if we look at, if we really did get it, we would be beatitude-type people. I would be meek and humble, not pride-filled and demanding. I would be um, demanding and not trusting. I would be loving and not selfish, and so on. And that was really the reality for Israel. Um, Israel did not exhibit the reality that they understood they were the cheating wife embraced by loving God who, had, who entered a covenant of peace with them. He did not, they did not exhibit that they understood that they were um, um, a barren wife that was taken in by a gracious and loving husband. They didn't, they didn't do that, and neither does the church today. Um, if, if we really got this reality, um, I don't know that, if the church did today, I don't know that we would have seen what we saw on January 6th become a reality. And, and January 6th was just really a, kind of a, the culmination of a view of Christianity, namely that we are warriors of God, we are the chosen people, and everyone out, else out there are evil. And we have to take matters into our own hand, and we will win with power. And you know, we are, the, we are taking our country back for God. But God never commands us to take our country back. In fact, it's just the opposite. Ephesians 6, not to mention, well, really most of all of Scripture, but in Sermon on the Mount, the greatest commandment, Love your neighbors, you love yourself, love God, you know, above all things. But in Ephesians 6, we see it here. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood or politicians, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, not power. Christians today think if we gain control, we gain influence. 
But the reality of Jesus' kingdom is if we give up control, we gain influence. If we, if we abdicate needing control, we give up. Uh, we, we gain the very control that we're looking for. Because what is, it, what, what is more radical? Um, men and women finding each other on social media, um, you know, guided by this saying, let's take our country back and let's storm the Capitol, or men and women being so transformed that they don't even need power, they don't even need control, they don't need their person in the White House, they, they don't need to have anything because they have God. This is evident also in Ravi Zacharias. I've been thinking a lot about him. If you don't know who he is, he, I'm kind of going to kind of tell you, he was a Christian superstar. And you ought to already be offended because there are no Christian superstars. There's one, his name is Jesus, and that's it. But he was a Christian superstar, and we made him, the church made him a superstar. We lauded him. We feel like we need, oh, we glory in someone who is so sly of tongue that he can walk into the great hall at Harvard and he can, he, he can debate the, the, the most intelligent men or women on the planet and he can win and we carry him out victorious into the streets and laud him as king. We made him. <laughs> and then we wonder why he thinks he's godlike. And then we wonder why he thinks he deserves to manipulate women into sexual acts. Here's the true gospel. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Friends, God's plan A is his bride being so humbly overwhelmed by the love of her husband that she humbly loves and extends that same to her neighbor. It's called justice all throughout Isaiah, but that's what it is. It's saying, I'm going to love you as I love myself. I'm going to treat you as I would want to be treated. I'm going to stand up for you as I would want someone to stand up for me. I'm going to love you. I'm going to forgive you as God has forgiven me. I'm going to be patient with you as God has been patient with me. I'm going to persevere in love, and I'm not going to give up on you when everybody else has given up on you. His plan A is, is the transforming power of the Spirit in the hearts and minds of His people. It is not to get the right man in the White House, and it is not to raise up a Ravi Zacharias who can, who can go to any platform on the planet and be the apologist of the day. The greatest apology, the greatest argument for the gospel is not given from a podium, but it's given in your living room and in your neighborhood and at your workplaces and in your marriages and at your home. That is how you argue for the validity of the gospel. Where are those Christians? Dear friends, is it you? Is it me? You know the law that we need to be holding up. It's love because that's the law that Jesus holds up. 
It's not what I gave up. It's not what I do. What I do. It's love. It's you and me marveling at God's grace that we might marvel at the great and glorious God of heaven. And then thirdly, how in the world do we do that? God's, um, God's promises have to, let me just read it. Thus, God's promises, the promises of our glorious spouse must be our center. We must live by the promises of God. We've got to believe the words that come out of his mouth, not the words that are printed in social media. And not the voice of the devil who's constantly whispering all those lies in your head and in your heart. We have to be men and women of faith centered upon the the promises of God. Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Paul in in, uh, Romans 1.17 said, The Christian life is by faith from first to last. You never outgrow it. It's fueled by faith, believing, trusting the realities of the gospel that, that, yes, begins with God reigns and is glorious, but we are the cheating wife, we are the barren woman, but he has embraced us through Christ Jesus, the the piercing of his son Jesus, yes, but that so shapes us that, that we want to live for him and we live off of the words that come from his lips. That That's the kind of people that we need to be. But here's the rub. God was giving these promises to people in exile. He was telling them to live as if they're in the new heaven and the new earth, but they're in exile. But guess what? You and I are too. This is not our home. What you experience every day is not your home. Your marriage is not your home. Your children are not your home. Your home is not your home. You don't have, your home is in glory. Your hope is future. That's why what you have now may be good. It probably, it's all good, but it is not what you're made for. And you think you've got you've to uh, somehow not tell anybody that you're just not satisfied, that you're struggling in life, that, that you're, you know, come on. None of us are satisfied, <laughs> but by God. Do you see it? That's what we must be. Listen. Chapter 55, 10 through 13, for as the rain and the snow, we can relate to this, can't we? Ton of snow in Memphis, never seen it in all my life. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I have sent. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth in singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make, the, and, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut. Off. Dear friends, who is the myrtle? Who is the cypress tree? Who is the essence of joy but King Jesus? And we can see that through the New Testament, reading the Old Testament through the New Testament. He is our hope. He is the one. Yes, will one day, someday, the trees literally clap their hands? I, I believe yes. I'm believing in the poetry. I'm claiming the poetry this morning, okay? I literally had a good friend. We were fly fishing. We, we drove up on the frying pan river outside of a steamboat in Aspen, Colorado. 
and it was early morning. There was, you know, steam or whatever rising off the water. The aspen trees were brilliant, and he literally started crying, and he quoted this verse, and he made me cry. <laughs> because why? Why will, the, why will the, the aspens clap? Why will the fish jump out of the water? Because the king will reign victoriously, and there will be, the devil will be cast down, and the earth and everything that we long for will be realized forever and ever and ever and ever, and there will be no night, and he will wipe every tear from our eyes. The new heaven and the new earth is our reality, but is it our reality? There will be a day of justice, dear friends. There will be a day of life. There will be a day of deep connection and friendship. There will be a day of time around a table with Jesus simply eating and drinking new bread and new wine. There will be that day, but we have to live as if it's today. The joy of that day must absolutely permeate everything that we are. God gives us promise after promise, four or five promises from this passage. Um, 54.10, he promises us peace. My steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. He promises protection. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. You shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication for me, declares the Lord. Has he given us protection? He's given us the resurrection. Though we die, we live. Amen. And then um, he promises a city in, in 54, 11 through 12. I, I, could preach a whole, I could preach a whole sermon out of probably every verse in here, but the city and, and the description of the walls and, and the floor, and the, it's, it's incredible. We have a city whose streets are made of gold. And no one's hungry, and no one's shamed, and everyone's loved. Oh, his presence is promised. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. Eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. He tells us that indeed he is the only one that can satisfy because he is our husband, the Holy One of Israel, our creator, our maker, our redeemer. And he tells the people of God who are in Babylon to live like they believe it. Chapter 54, 2 through 3. Listen to this. It's crazy. They're in exile. Enlarge the place of your tent. What are you talking about, Lord? And let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Don't hold back. All right, add on to your house is what he's saying, as if you're going to have more children than you can possibly imagine. Start, well, wait a minute, Lord. I don't know if, oh, wait a minute. Ho, 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 ho. I don't know if I want that many. T- oh, no, you break out the walls and you start adding bedrooms because my promise is true. This is, don't hold back. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will, the, the peop- and will people the desolate cities. Friends, his promises are true. Why? Because indeed he broke covenant with us when he broke his own son. It's his shed blood. It's his broken body that secures the promises of God. And he says, brother, sister, son, daughter, go live as if it's true. Is this the God that you trust? Come to him this morning. Let go of all that you're looking to to satisfy you and look to the God of glory to satisfy you.
Pray with me. Lord God, we thank you this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how glorious you are. Would you work mightily in our hearts this morning that you might uh, push us out into the world as men and women of promise, not doubt, not fear, but promise. Oh God, may we claim the truth of this passage and may you make us men and women who understand that we're the barren woman that our husband has taken in. We're the cheating wife that, um, that our husband has received back. And oh God, may we come to you and live in your love. Thank you so much. No one could make this up. Thank you. It's too good to be true, but oh, thank God that it's true. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh God, move our hearts now to worship you. Oh God, move our hearts now to repent of all the ways we don't love, all the ways that we don't exhibit joy, peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control, gentleness. Empower us with these fruits. Oh God, live through us that the world might know you are king. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Anyway, we may worship him by bringing our tithes and offerings. We have a basket over here for those present, for those not present. Uh, you see how to do that now.